So let me ask you a question. <clears throat> if you were looking for a church, what would you look for? Well, some people would say, well, I want a friendly church. Well, we look at our church. Our church is one of the friendliest churches I've pastored. And I could see where friendliness would be a major uh, problem. If you walked into a church for the first time, I've heard this from other people that said, I went there, but now I'm coming here because they just weren't friendly. So I think friendliness is important. But I do believe that preaching is probably one of the most important. Because if the, if the word is not being preached or taught or communicated, then it doesn't matter how friendly the church is. Church can be friendly, but if the word of God is not being taught, then you shouldn't go there. Or if it's even being taught wrong, you shouldn't go there. What about worship? Where does worship fit into that realm? Friendliness, preaching, worship. I think worship's important too. Now the question is, uh, do I attend a church that has nothing but praise and worship and uh, all that contemporary stuff? Or do I do hymns and liturgical forms of worship? I want you to realize this morning that that has really nothing to do with worship. That's a personal preference. Personal preference is not biblically based. In fact, you can look in Scripture and you can see where both sides can be supported, sing and psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. The, you, you, can, you can fit those into both sides. The issue here is, what is the essence of true worship? And that's what the psalmist will expose for us here today. Uh, this is called the, uh, and it may look familiar to you, uh, we've preached, I've preached on this a couple of times, uh, but I felt the need to come back to this when we're talking about engage God in worship because I want to do our series, Engage, Connect, Serve, and we're going to tie that to how we do ministry in the church. But I think worship of God is the response to God's unlimited, unmerited grace bestowed upon us at the moment of salvation. Would, would, would you agree as believers that one of the primary functions of the church is to worship God one of the primary purposes of the church is to shout back to God what he has so graciously given us and so we come to Psalm 100 which was a parallel Psalm 95 the psalmist some say David wrote it um, some say he didn't but it, it doesn't matter I don't think that's a that's a major issue the issue here is that this was a psalm that was sung in the temple worship. It's rich, rich with, uh, with understanding of, of what true worship is and what true worship is not. Psalm 95 talks about coming into his presence. <coughs> the, talks about uh, the God is Lord. He's the creator. Both of these psalms, 95 and 100, Put these themes out there. And I think they're there for a reason. To help us understand the core essence of worship. So let's unpack it. If you uh, have an outline on the back of the bulletin, you'll see the, the fill in the blanks. Here we go. 
The psalmist tells us to come before God. To come before God. He writes, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Rishvavoin in the Hebrew, Rishavoin, which means to make a loud noise that signals feelings and emotion. One, one thing that, that worship is, it is a time for God's people to come together and to sing to him. Now, we can punch our time card. We can come to church and we can punch our time card and we can sit in the pews like this. Oh, Lord, you are the... And there's really not any emotion behind that. How would it change our worship if before we came into the church, we thought about what we were getting ready to do and what God has done in our lives? And so it's easy. It's easy just to come in, sing a few songs, listen to Pastor Mike blow a gasket in the sermon, and then to go home without ever really having come into the presence of God. Yes, you, you can fake worship. You can fake being excited. You can fake jumping up and down and doing all of this. You can fake that. I get that. But there should be within us an innate desire to worship and to sing loud. I've heard people tell me some, sometimes, Pastor, if I sing, everybody will run. And I say, well, everybody except God. Because God inhabits the praise of his people. And if everybody in the church was singing at max capacity, boy, we could rock this place. We could really rock it. And it's not, it's not that you come in and you want to jump up and down. I don't have a problem with that as long as it's genuine. And the only one that really knows if it's genuine is God. But too often we are all, Guilty of punching the spiritual time clock. We come in, we sing our songs. You know, I love a mighty fortress is our God. A mighty fortress is our God. What oh, just gets me going? But then there's other songs I got to try to make myself get going at times. But I'm still singing. And it may not be great. You guys know I'm not a great singer. But you need, when you think about worship, you think about joy, you think about making a joyful noise, rishvavoin, to sing a loud noise with emotion. And again, you can fake it, but that's not the general gist of this text right here. It is a genuine worship. And this is to Yodehavev. That's Yahweh, the Lord, the creator of the universe and the sustainer of life. And then God, the, the psalmist, invites not just the nation of Israel. Notice what he adds here. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. God invites every person to praise him. And by the way, Theology 101 tells me the gospel is for everybody. Nobody is excluded. All can come to saving faith in Christ. Secondly, 
Come before God with joy. Give it everything that you have when you're out there singing. But this is something that's unique. Serve. Wait a minute. So this means that it's not only singing, but it's serving. Pastor, are you telling me that serving is part of worship? Yeah, I am. So is the psalmist. Look at what he says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. This was sung before God in the temple services. Serve the Lord with gladness. Ovid. That means considerable energy to a task or a function with the focus of ministering in a devotional mindset to God. Anything that is done in the church is a form of worship. You wouldn't think that this is a form of worship cleaning the church, but it is. Let me tell you why. People come into the church, maybe they're first-time visitors. They come into the church, they look around, they see the place is dirty. They go, you know what, they don't really care about their building. How can they care about God? Because we're supposed to give God the best all the time. This becomes hugely important. And it is. Anything, this is, the, the reference here is wide. Considerable energy, unspecified task or unspecified function with a minister, uh, with ministering in a heart of devotion to God. So when you clean the church, for example, you do it as unto the Lord. I think that's biblical too. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. That's biblical. So if you're cleaning the church, clean the church with the idea that you want to be pleasing to God. Um, teaching Sunday school. Teaching Sunday school. That's serving the Lord. Cleaning the church. Serving the Lord. What about visiting people in the hospital? That's serving the Lord. All of these things are serving the Lord. Small group Bible studies. Serve the Lord. The fact is that serving the Lord is synonymous with worship. To praise Him and to show this praise by serving. I believe that's where the psalmist was going with this. We, we could possibly say it this way in the New Testament. Be not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Whatever you believe actually has to function out. So serving God is part of our worship. So if you're not serving, then I would encourage you to start serving. We're pretty good at our church. Most of our people are actively involved in serving God. But there's a certain way that we do this. Notice what the psalmist writes. Serve the Lord with what? Gladness, joyfulness, or cheerfulness. It is possible to serve the Lord and be miserable. 
I've been there a few times myself as a pastor, particularly in my first church. And in that instance, I was wrong. I was a younger pastor, a lot, lot younger. And I had not yet come into the realization of this. So it is possible to serve the Lord, but do it miserably. Let me encourage you as your pastor to think just for a minute about you have the privilege and the honor to serve the Lord. You have the privilege and the honor to serve the Lord. You have the privilege, being a child of God, and the honor attached with being a child of God to serve your Father who redeemed you. Now, that should put a little pep in your step. That, that, that should make you go, wait a minute, I am so happy to serve you, Lord. And if I'm cleaning the church, I'm going to be happy cleaning the church because I know that it is part of my worship. When I go visit somebody at the hospital, I'm going to do it joyfully and I'm going to pray with them and do whatever I can to minister to them because it is part of my worship. If I lead a Bible study or a small group, I'm going to do it with joy because I know it is part of my worship. Serve the Lord with gladness. I heard a pastor once say, show some teeth, smile. It's a good way to put it. You need an image? These girls are all smiling. They're passing out. They're not passing out, but they're passing out items. But they're doing it joyfully. They're doing it joyfully. Let me ask you a question, a personal question. Particularly for those that work in the church. Are you joyful in serving? Part of engaging God in worship is singing to him, acknowledging him, giving him glory and honor and praise. But the other side of this equation is serving. And, and I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you to smile when you serve. It really does, I mean, if, and I've, 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 I've heard people say, well, I'm only doing this job because we need somebody to fill it. I get that. But also at the same time, when you do that, say, okay, I'm going to do this with a spirit of joy because God has given me the opportunity to do this. And by the way, he has given you the, and me the ability to do this. And in this, we can rejoice. And so, serving and singing go hand in hand. And then, secondly, come before him with joy and service and know his greatness. Know his greatness. Now, the psalmist writes here, know that the Lord is, He is God. That was, as most scholars would um, argue, 
That was a form of uh, confessional which was used in temple worship. Know that the Lord, he is God. And then the congregation would say, know that the Lord, he is God. It was a form of uh, uh, liturgical confession, if you will. I like, though, what Rolf Jacobson says in his commentary. The imperative no does not imply mere intellectual knowledge. Ancient Hebrew knew no division between theoretical and practical knowledge. What does he mean by that? Well, the, the Hebrew word no is yada, yada. And that means to acquire information by experience. It is one thing to know. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can know that. You can quote it. That's one. It's one thing to know it. It's one thing to experience it. Knowledge and heart knowledge go together. It is to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. It is to know that it is God. He is God. He is Yodehavev. I have experienced this in my in my head, but I have experienced it in my heart with the cross. The day that I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, he came in, I knew it, and since then, that experience has only gotten deeper and deeper and stronger. That is what it means to know that the Lord, he is God. And you know that in your heart. You know that in your head. You can quote the verses, but you have come to the realization that he is God, the creator of the world. And along those lines, know that the Lord, he is God. He says this, it is he who made us. I love, I love this word, asha, asha, made. Do you know what that word means? It is he who made us. This, this is, this is huge. God fashions us. Let me, let me tell you this. You are beautifully made in the image of God. You are beautifully made in the image of God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Psalm 139, 13. You are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. I was watching a video the other night <clears throat> and in this video the pastor was talking about cells and how cells come together and he said that there is an adhesive for these cells have you ever heard the word laminin Tim you know that because you're in the medical field laminin 
Laminin is what holds all of your cells together in your body. Look at this. I, I want you to see this. Thinking about you have been made in the image of God. I want you to look at this. What does laminin look like? Laminin. The cross. <laughs> Are you not blown away by that? This attaches to every cell in your body and holds it together so that you and I can function. And it looks like the cross. That is fascinating. Unbelievable. And then I read Colossians 1.17. He is before Jesus. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Wow. Jesus Christ is holding this world together. And the blueprint of God's divine plan for creation lives in you. And the image of the cross is holding everything that you have inside your body together so that you can function. Oh, and there's a lot of things about... Uh, a lot of things about the human body that we could get into, about what, what develops within the womb, uh, uh, the baby, uh, as, as the baby develops. All of these things just so happen to come together, so happen to, to work perfectly and put things together. I've heard people say that this world started with one molecule. It takes way too much faith for me to believe that, that, that somehow this molecule just showed up and all of a sudden it, it created all of these things it takes way too much faith for me to believe that what I can believe is that a great God who knows and loves me created everything that we see and put the mark of the cross in 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 this laminin in our body to show us how great he is unbelievable and if you look at it, some of the laminin on a, on a microscope is just tilted a little bit to the left, but it is clear it is a picture of the cross. Wow. I don't know, for me, that was worth coming to church, just all that right there. <laughs> it, was, it was worth it to me just to give you that information that I learned. Colossians. He holds all things together. Wow. By him and for him were all things created. You are a creation of God. You are a unique creation of God. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome to see that? It's like God saying, hello, hello. Back to the future. Hello, McFly. You should be getting this. This is God. This is Jesus Christ. And how it connects everything together. That is amazing. Cell binding. The B2 chain. And science sees this. Medical science sees this. This is the image that they get. 
don't get me started on the heavens and the stars, right? Because you know I love, don't, I know there's a lot of you going, please don't start on that one, Pastor. But I love it. And I think about the, the heavens and the stars, and I'm like, one molecule, really? One little bitty molecule did all that? No, no, too much faith. God did that. And think about how, well, see, I, I, I got to get off of it because I can go over another direction. So, Know his greatness. He is creator. Praise God. He is shepherd. He is shepherd. We are his people and sheep of his pasture. This image should be very familiar to us. God is our shepherd. We are the sheep. This is a metaphor that is throughout the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. He is our shepherd. He guides us as a shepherd. He will watch over us. He will keep us. He will secure us. He takes care of us. He guides us, provides for us. What a great God. How many of you, just by a show of hands, how many of you have placed sleep tonight? How many of you have food? You're blessed. I'm blessed. What a great God. The problem with us is sometimes, and I'm included too, sometimes the problem with us is we forget that. We forget that God takes care of us provides for us, guides us, loves us, and we often forget that. This is, this is really a beautiful image. The one thing about sheep is sometimes sheep are not very smart, right? Including myself here, but God still loves us. Gently keeps us moving in his direction even though we're not always doing what we're called to do for him, even when we're not praising him the way that we should, even when we're not serving him the way that we should, God still takes care of us. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly amazed by that. And particularly for the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel always followed God, right? <laughs> no. The nation of Israel, depending on what day you saw them, <laughs> this is what their spiritual life looked like. Oh, God saved us. He took it. Wow, I crossed that Red Sea. Now let's go worship Baal. You know, it was kind of like just crazy stuff. But you know what? We do the same thing. Look at what God did in our lives. Okay, now I'm going to go do this. Wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pull back, pull back. He is our shepherd. We are his sheep. We follow the shepherd. Lastly, and know his greatness, he is good. God is creator, yes? Yes. He is our shepherd, yes? Yes. Also, God is good. God is good. Yes, that's right. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Todah. The word for thanksgiving. 
a song of thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. That means deeds that are praiseworthy, stuff that God has done in your life. Thanks. Give thanks, which is the word gratitude. And then bless, which is the word submission. This, this in and of itself could be a sermon right here, uh, but I just want to quickly highlight something. Um, he says, enter, enter the courts, which you'd come to the outer courts, and then you go into the temple. Um, you would enter into the worship arena, if you will. So we're going to talk here about coming to church. First of all, when you come to church, make sure there's a, th- a song of thanksgiving on your heart. So when you get in a car, think about where you're getting ready to go and think about how grateful or thankful you are for what God has given you. That kind of helps set the tone for when you start to sing. Secondly, praise him for what he has done in your life. Brothers and sisters, I I could go around this room and we could spend probably an hour and 20 minutes talking about what God has done in your life, right? I see a lot of you nodding, I know. Do you know how much God has done in our lives? He saved us, he's redeemed us. That's just for starters. Do you know how many times God has protected you without you even knowing that you were protected? How many times has God mysteriously shown up in form of funds that you needed? How many times has God done something wonderful in your life and you say, wow, yeah, God has done a lot in my life. Do this for me. Benchmark these moments. Write it down. When God does something that you know only God can do, write it down, put the date on it, and then write what God did. Now, the reason I say that is somewhere down the road, You're going to grow weary, and you're going to go, is there any way God can do this? Can he fix this? Can he help me? Then you go back to the benchmark, and you go, oh, yeah, I remember when God did this. I will stand fast and trust in him. It's good to have benchmarks, benchmarks about what God did in your life and how he fixed the problem or the situation, and therefore, I can praise him for what he has done in my life. Lastly, or thirdly, a heart of personal gratitude. Let let me say this, and I believe it's right. One of the first signs of spiritual problems in your life is when you, you lack an attitude of gratitude. When everything is negative and everything is horrible and you complain about everything your your focus is negative that is a spiritual problem christians should be the happiest people in the world so we need to reflect that to a world that desperately needs to know christ if they look at us and we're always complaining and There's no real personal gratitude to God. Yeah, he saved me, but then there's all this stuff. 
that's a sign of a spiritual problem because James says it this way in James, the first chapter of James. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into trials of different kinds, right? Count it all joy. You, yeah, I mean, you get into the trial and you just go, I know my Redeemer lives and I know he's going to take care of this because I've got the past, how God did things in my life and I will not, I will not let a sour heart stop me from personal gratitude to God. Now, this last one, bless his name, you would think that that word bless can mean like 30 different things. But in this particular case, watch this. So after you've done all this, you've entered his gates with thanksgiving, his courts, you go through the door, then you get into the court, you praise him, and you give thanks. And then, submission. Submission, or lack of, always comes down to a pride issue. Worship, bow, and submission. Practically, pastor, what does that look like? Praising him. You can inwardly bow praising him or even when the pastor is speaking and by the way every word that I've uttered today will be judged by God someday therefore I have to make sure what I'm preaching is truth I have to make sure that my heart is right all those things you guys and gals just get to sit there and listen I'm going to be judged someday for the content of my preaching so bowing in submission would also include, since we're talking about temple worship, when God's word is read and it is expounded on, you go, yes, Lord. It means that I don't agree with what the pastor said and I don't agree with what the Bible said. If you don't have that, then there's a problem. But when something is spoken to your heart and the minister loves God and his goal is to help you love God more, then you need to pay attention to it and submit, not to me, but to what God has written. When we bless his name it all, it, here, it involves submission. And, you know, I've had, I've, in the, the years I've pastored, I've had people come up, I remember one in my first church came up to me and said, I didn't, I didn't like anything you said this morning. I go, well, thank you. <laughs> she said, I didn't like anything you said this morning, but I'm going to do it. Submission. Not to me. I'm just the messenger. God is the message. <laughs> Why he gave me this task I don't know. 
but I know it was unmistakable in my life, so I had to do it. Submission. Bow in submission to him. And this is why we do this. For he is good. Would you agree with me this morning that God is good? Tov. Tov. Think of toe and then just take a V on it. Tove. Generous and beautiful. Has God been generous to you, brothers and sisters? We can all answer that. We know what the answer is. He goes on to write here, His steadfast love endures forever. Steadfast love is the word hesed. We have seen this word before. The word hesed is always a reference to the covenant. God. You want a picture or an image of what the word hesed conveys? Wedding. I did a wedding in here a couple of weeks ago. And I had the couple recite wedding vows. The bride and the groom both recited them, and I used the word covenant. And so, in a sense, when, when the Hebrew writers wrote and they spoke about the hesed love of God, they were talking about a marriage covenant. We say the Old Testament, but the Hebrew word for testament is covenant. We have an old covenant, and we have a new covenant. But they're both based on, for God so loved the world. And the image is of a ceremony in which two people are coming together and they are eternally faithful to each other. And that's what's happening right here. After you enter his gates with thanksgiving and you're bowing, be mindful of the fact that the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let me give you a little bit of good news before we land this plane. Charles Spurgeon said this, The glory of God's faithfulness is that no sin of ours has ever made him unfaithful. Oh, how many times do you sin? A bunch? Heard a joke one day about the guy said, I send so much, it's like that fan. It's just <laughs> spinning. That does not make God unfaithful. He still loves you. Now, the object in the Christian life is not to sin. But when we do stumble and fall, 
generation after generation after generation who has stumbled and fallen and get back up and run again and that doesn't change the fact that God is not faithful he is always faithful to you he never takes the, the covenant and says I want nothing more to do with you that should make me want to come into his presence Praise Him and glorify His name and give Him honor and glory and everything that is due to Him. Because when you trust in Jesus Christ, neither height nor depth nor length nor width nor anything shall ever separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus.